Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. If you, a, if you brought a Bible with you or a Bible app on your mobile phone, please turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And uh, the book of Psalms, if you're not really familiar, is right at the middle of the Bible. It's actually in the Old Testament, but if you were to take your Bible and Right down the middle, you probably find the book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 103. Um, it is Psalms is after the book of Job, and it also right before the book of Proverbs. So the word of the Lord reads, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity? who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, who made, he, he has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, o you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all, you, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, um, the, the 19th century preacher, says this, If the Lord makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are, those, are, for blessed are they that, that wait for him, for he is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial to us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, and endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been a waiting people. So we're kicking off a brand new series this morning titled Wait, I mean Waiting on God. And, uh, and the reason why we're in this series is, is, is really a simple fact. The word wait for most of us is just simply another four-letter word. We hate it. We hate to wait. If there is anything that we do in this world, if there's anything in the world that we do not like, we despise as Christians and as people, we don't like to wait. Am I right? right? I mean, you go to McDonald's and you order an Egg McMuffin. If you don't get that thing in two and a half minutes, you're irritated. Why? Because you don't want to wait. Right? You order things on Amazon.com. 
And you have Amazon Prime. Why? Because you want it in two days. Why? Because you don't want to wait. Right? We live in a world where we want it now. We have the fastest speed as far as internet goes in the entire world right here in Boron. Why? Because we don't want to wait. You turn on your phone, and if that app doesn't load fast enough for you, it's time to get a new phone. Why? Because we don't want to wait. Right? We have everything on demand. Everything is on demand. Movies are on demand. Um, music on demand. We have shopping on demand. We have, we have information on demand. We even have our favorite television shows on demand. We even have people even have sin on demand. All right? Did you know that pornography makes up over half of the internet's content? And it's all available all the time on every computer, phone, and tablet at a push of a button. Why? Because people don't even wait for their sin. And our inability to wait also affects our relationships too, right? We struggle to wait in our relationships. Nobody wants to wait until they get married for sex. Nobody wants to wait until they get married to live together. Nobody wants to wait, you know, to have children until after they're married. Why? Because we just hate to wait. In spite of what God says, what God clearly says, we don't want to wait, right? We want it now. We want all the benefits now. In fact, even when it comes to resolving conflicts in our relationships, people don't want to wait. When couples fight, they want to resolve things now. I know for me and Kim, when we fight, when we get into an argument, you know, I want to resolve it like this moment, like right now. But Kim, she needs a little time. She needs to, to, uh, to process. She needs to think it over. She needs time to let the emotion settle down. But me, I'm like the bulldog who wants to make it worse. I just keep pushing and pushing and pushing the issue because I want to settle it right now. Why? Because I am impatient. I want, I don't want to wait. And it costs me dearly sometimes. Right? I don't want to wait until tomorrow to fix it. I don't want to wait until she's, you know, calmed down. Right? We are so impatient. It just seems like it's part of who we are, part of our DNA, that we just hate to wait. In fact, we hate waiting so much that we find ways to overcome the negative feelings of waiting. Right? I mean, anytime, you know, we see people go places, right? You know, and, and there's a lull in the conversation. What happens? People whip out their devices, right? And they reoccupy their minds because they are so uncomfortable with silence. We are so uncomfortable with waiting, even just for a few minutes. No one's having a conversation anymore. No one's, no one's talking anymore. No one passes the time by engaging in meaningful dialogue with other people. Instead, we kind of unplug from the world. And we put our face into a screen, right? And don't get me wrong. I'm not judging I'm just as guilty as everybody else, right? You drive up to 395, what happens, right? No one passes the time by talking, right? Everybody else in the car, what are they doing? They got their headphones on, they got their face in a screen. They're not chatting about what happened during the week. No one's catching up, right? They've got their face in a screen because they need to be entertained every single second of the trip because they can't stand waiting. They don't want to talk. They don't want conversation. They just want to be distracted from the uncomfortable sensation of having to sit there and wait. We need to be entertained because waiting, being quiet, being still for so many of us now has become even torture to us. We don't want to wait for anything. It's kind of why our culture and our economy is built on debt, right? I mean, nobody wants to wait, you know, to save enough money to buy something. You want to buy a jacuzzi? Go finance it. Want a new dirt bike? Get a loan, right? Right? I mean, when I was a kid, which really wasn't that long ago, I don't think, <laughs> right? Someone will disagree with me, but that's okay. 
But when I was a kid, you know, people, most of the people who had things like RVs and boats and ATVs and things like that were in their 30s, late 30s and older. And the reason for that is those are the people who worked hard enough and long enough and made enough money and had a high enough credit score that they could actually afford those things, Right? It took a long time to actually build that stuff up. But now today people graduate from, from, from school and they think they should be able to buy a four-bedroom house in the nicest neighborhood, get new cars, jet skis, a toy hauler, and all the electronics they can stand in a new wardrobe every six months, right? And they want it right now. That's why there's so much consumer debt in our culture right now. Nobody wants to wait. There's nothing in our lives that we want to wait for. We are so impatient we don't want to wait for our food to cook, right? How many of you like go into a kitchen full of food and you look in the refrigerator and the pantry and go, there's nothing to eat, right? And it's not that there's nothing to eat in there. It's just there's nothing to eat in there that you can, that you can have you know, hot and ready in 30 seconds. You actually have to cook the rest of the stuff, Right? We don't want to wait in our relationships. We don't want to wait for our tax return. We don't want to wait for the lab results. We don't want to wait for our spouse to get ready when, when it's time to leave. Anybody got an amen for that one? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we don't want, you know, we, we, don't, we don't want to wait for, uh, for, for traffic. We certainly don't want to wait in line at Walmart, right? Nobody wants to wait to watch their brand, their favorite TV show, the next season of their TV show on Netflix, right? And as soon as, you, as soon as it comes out, what happens? You binge watch that thing in two weeks, I mean, in two days, and then guess what? You're waiting again, right? Nobody wants to wait for that. Nobody wants to wait at the DMV or the checkout aisle. Nobody wants to wait for Christmas. In fact, I mean, in my house, we have like this new weird tradition. It wasn't my idea, okay, by the way. But there's this new weird tradition. We have Christmas presents and we have early Christmas presents. Like that's a real thing, right? Because nobody wants to wait for Christmas, all right? That's just who we are. We don't, we're so impatient. We don't want to wait for anything. We don't want to wait even for God. Which the truth is, there's something actually we need to come to terms with when it comes to God. God has designed us to wait for him. God has created us and designed us to wait for him. He has created us to know him best and to grow and prosper in the middle of his will for our life and to be the absolute closest to him when we wait for him. When we wait on his guidance, when we wait for his plan to be revealed, when we, when we wait for for uh, what he knows best, when, he wait for, when we wait for him to speak to us, God has designed us to wait for him. Understand, God's designed us in such a way that we actually need to wait. In fact, Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Isaiah 40.31, But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Psalm 27, 13, and 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Isaiah 30, 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. Psalm 62, 5. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in him. 
over and over and over and over and over in the Bible, we're told to wait on God. In fact, the word wait or waiting or the derivatives of those words, right, they occur like 140 to 160 times in the Bible, depending on which translation you're reading, right? And here's the thing that you've got to understand here, okay? When God says something, Right? When God says something to you, it's important. When God says it twice, it's really important. And when he makes a point to say it over and over and over again, then it's a really important reoccurring theme. I mean, think about this. There are certain things that we're told repeatedly to do by God, right? Over and over and over again, we're told to believe. We're told to believe and have faith. Over and over again, we're told to repent, right? I mean, we've come to terms and we know that the Bible's telling us to repent and believe the gospel and be saved, right? Because the Bible makes clear that by repeating this over and over again, that's what we are to do. Over and over again, we're told to worship God, okay? We're told repeatedly to love others, right? I mean, we're to love other Christians. We're to love our neighbors. We're to love even our enemies. Loving, loving other people is a repeated theme in the Bible. And putting others before ourselves is another repeated theme. So is prayer, over and over again, the, the Bible encourages us and commands us to pray, right? This is something that God repeats as a theme, right? Same with, with standing up for truth. Over and over and over again, we're told to contend for the faith and to defend sound doctrine. We're told over and over again to tear down false teachings and to lift up truth. We're, you know, these are repeated themes in the Bible, each one of them. God makes a point to say over and over again because it's important to him. And waiting on God is one of those important themes. It's a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. In fact, in Genesis 48, 19, we find Jacob saying as he blesses his sons, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. And then at the other end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we find those who have been killed for their faith, uh, those who've been martyred because of the word of God. They're in heaven and they're crying out to God, when are you going to avenge us, Lord? When are you going to judge those who did this to us? And guess what? What, what, was, what they were told. They were told to rest or to wait a little longer. From the beginning to the end, waiting on God is a consistent theme that runs through the entire Bible. And the, and the reason for that is we're designed to wait on God. Well, why? Why? Well, the reason is found in our theology. It's found in our understanding of who God is. I mean, everything we know about our faith, everything we know about our life, everything we know about ourselves must ultimately be rooted in our theology. It must be rooted in what we know about God and what we know about us. Right? That's what we've been talking about for the last several months. Theology matters. You need to have a foundational theology on which we build everything else. You need to build all of your understanding on what you know about God and faith and allow, allow, allow everything else to be built off of that. Our entire worldview and everything that we see and the way we see the world must be designed and anchored to our theology in God. It must be anchored to what we know about God and what we know in light of who he is, who we are. So the, so the question that about you know, why we need to wait on him is actually a theological question, right? It begins with our theology of God. It begins with how we understand who he is. Well, what do we know? about God. Well, number one, we know that he is sovereign and in complete control, right? God is the king of all things. As uh, John Piper likes to point out, there's not a molecule in the universe that's in rebellion to him. 
Right? First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heavens and in all and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as the head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Psalm 115.3 reads, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Isaiah reminds us in 46.9-10, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, not, uh, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. God is completely and totally sovereign and in control. But not only that, he is also good. Number two is God is good. Over and over again, the the Bible declares that the psalmist tells us over and over again, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. One of our favorite songs. God loves us and God is good to us. And then number three, God is all knowing, right? Psalm 147.5, great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah 40.28 have you, yet, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God is unknowing, is, is all-knowing. And then number four, God works for the good of those who follow him. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So that's what we know about God. God is sovereign. He is good. He is all knowing and he works for the good of those who follow him. And that's just some of our theological understanding of who God is. Well, what about us? What do we know about us? Well, number one, we know that we are not sovereign. We know that we're not in control. And I don't have to cite a Bible verse to tell you that, right? I mean, mean, we, we, we don't control the weather, right? Obviously, I can't even control the technology, right? We're not in control of the, the economy. We're not, you're not even in control of your own children, right? You just think you are at times, right? You can't even control, you know, um, you know whether you woke up this morning or not. You can't control whether or not that cold that somebody else has, whether you're going to get that or not, right? We are not even remotely in control. We are not sovereign. Number two, right? We are not good, I mean, we're going to pretend to be, and we're going to say that we are. In fact, you know, every, whenever you approach somebody who, who's not a believer and ask them, are they going to heaven? They say, yes. And you say, why? Because I'm a good person. And when you tell them they're not a good person, they, they can't understand, right? But Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 12, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So we're not good. Number three, we're not all-knowing. And again, I don't have to give you a Bible verse to tell you that, Right? All I have to do is say words like hypostatic union, metaphysics, Higgs bosons, and Swahili, and then you instantly know that you don't know everything, right? You understand that you're limited, your knowledge is limited. And if you think you know, you know everything, then by all means, come to my house and teach my sixth grader common core mathematics, okay? Right? 
We know for a fact we are not all knowing, right? And then number four, we don't always work things out for our own good, right? I mean, the Bible tells us, right? There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end leads to death, right? Or its, its end is the way of death. We don't always do things that work out for our own good. I mean, we've all made decisions in our lives that we thought were, our, were in our best interest, or certainly just at least we thought we wanted to do something, and it turned it out to be a disaster. I mean, I think we've all been there, right? I mean, in fact, some of the worst things that have ever happened, I think, in our lives, the result of our own choices. So we're not sovereign, we're not good, we're not all-knowing, and we don't make the best choices. So why, then, are we designed to wait on God? Because he is everything that we're not. He is good, we're not. He is all-knowing, we are not. He works, you know, he, he's sovereign, we are not. He works all things out for the good of those who follow him, and we don't, right? We were designed to wait on God because we are finite and we're dependent upon him. He is everything we are not. We are completely, 100% totally dependent upon him for even the next breath that you're going to take. We're designed to wait on him. Okay? It's just who he is and it's just who we are. So theologically speaking, we are designed to wait on God because he is everything that we need. God is everything we need in our life. He gives us life, right? He, he knows the end from the beginning. He is wisdom. You know, he gives us strength. He gives us hope. He knows what's best for us in all circumstances. And he provides for our every tiny little need. We are wholly dependent upon him. That is why we wait on him. That's why waiting on God and learning to wait on God is good for us. In fact, waiting on God is a spiritual discipline, right? I don't know if you know that, but just as much as reading the Bible, just as much as prayer, waiting on God is a spiritual discipline that helps us to grow towards maturity. Waiting for God and for his counsel and waiting for his wisdom and waiting for him to work in our lives is an important spiritual discipline. And it is so for four basic reasons. Number one, waiting on God demonstrates that we acknowledge our dependence upon him. It's an expression of our submission to his sovereignty. It's an expression of our submission to his authority. It's an, an expression of our submission to his indispensability in our lives. Psalm 130 verses 5 through 6 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for, for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Right? Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I will look for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord of my salvation. My God will hear me. Waiting for God acknowledges our need for him. It demonstrates that, that and acknowledges that we are dependent upon him. And actually, waiting on God is actually a form of worship, which leads to, to number two. When, when we wait on God, we, we, when we willingly wait on him, we demonstrate that he has value to us in our lives. That's what worship is. We're expressing value. We're, we're expressing worth to God. That's what worship means. It means worth-ship. And we're waiting patiently and we're waiting for God. We're saying, Lord, you're worthy. Lord, you're valuable. Lord, you're worth waiting for. Psalm 62, 5. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For our, my hope is in him. When we wait for God, it expresses a deep sense of value to him. I mean, I mean, think about this. When you go to McDonald's and you order your hamburger, you want it right now. 
you're, you're, you're not willing to wait. In fact, I've even seen people who've ordered food at like a fast food restaurant and get so frustrated with waiting, they just left, left their money and everything behind, right? But, but it's different though, right? When, when you go to a nicer restaurant, I mean, think about like BJ's or Johnny Carino's or Red Lobster. Some of you are thinking like, shut up, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's not bad enough that, that we got up an hour early, now you gotta talk about food? Yes, it's part of my plan. But the thing is, is when you, when you go to a nicer restaurant, you, you, know, you know that you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. And you're willing to wait a little longer. And sometimes when you go there, you're, you're not waiting for food. You're waiting for a chair, right? 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour sometimes, right? And sometimes you're not waiting inside. You're waiting outside for a seat. Why? Because it's worth the wait, right? The value of the food, the value of the experience of that dinner is enough to wait for. Waiting expresses value and worth. That's what worship does. It expresses value and worth to God. It's saying, Lord, you are worthy to me. Waiting on God demonstrates through your actions, Lord, you are worth the wait. I want to wait on you, right? Even though I want this situation in my life to change now, Lord, even though I want this job now, Lord, even though I want to buy this house now, Lord, even though I want my relationships issues fixed right now, Lord, Lord, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to wait on you because you, Lord, right? I'm going to, because you are God and, and, and what you want for my life is more important to me than what I want. What you see for my life is more important to me. You know, your glory is more important to me than, than what I get. So I'm going to wait for you because you, Lord, what you have planned, what, what you have ordained, what you want, what you think is valuable, that's important to me. So I want to worship you by waiting on you. Waiting demonstrates our dependence on God and it demonstrates God's value to us. Number three, waiting on God changes us, right? It's through waiting on God that he changes and shapes us. When we wait on God, we have time to slow down. We have time to reflect. We have time to think. Something we should do more of in our culture. We have time to read the word. We have time to pray and to meditate and to contemplate. We have time to dream and to hope and to visualize. When we wait on God, we have, the, we have time to come into his presence and just sit there, allowing God to be God and to heal us and change our hearts and our minds about our situation, about the world, and even about who we are. Waiting on God helps us to be transformed. Paul reminds us in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's hard to be transformed when you're always hustling, when you're in the hustle-muscle life. It's hard to be changed when you're constantly in motion. It's hard to be changed and transformed when your mind is so chaotic and overwhelmed all the time. Sometimes we just need to stop. Sometimes we just need to slow down and reflect. Sometimes we need to just have that downtime. Sometimes we just need that time where we're alone with God. Sometimes we just need to sit there quietly meditating on what God's word is. And what we know theologically about him. Sometimes we just need to slow down and wait for God to move in our lives so he can shape us. Waiting on God is good for us because it changes us. 
And then number four, waiting on God is in our best interests ultimately, right? This is something that we, we forget and we lose sight of all the time, right? Sometimes we get in such a big hurry and we get so worried about missing out on something. But sometimes when we wait, when we wait, we find that new opportunity. Sometimes when we wait and on God, we hear his still small voice. Sometimes when we wait, we avoid that horrible disaster. How many of you have, have ever been in a situation where you want to go somewhere and you're in a hurry to leave, but somebody that you're going with is making you late, right? And you're irritated and you're frustrated, right? And your day's ruined, right? And then you're like complaining the whole way and then you're driving along and all of a sudden you see this horrible accident and you realize, man, if we'd have left on time, it would have been right in the middle of that, right? That's, that's, that's how it is, Right? It's the same thing spiritually. Sometimes you have this direction you want to go in your life and you just want to push forward. Sometimes you just, I just, if I can just get that job or if I can just buy that house or take advantage of this opportunity or if I can just buy those things that are on sale right now because no one's ever going to have a sale on anything else ever again in the whole world, right? All right? But it seems like things, you know, get in the way. You know, sometimes you, you, you want something and something is in the way, you know. Well, that's when you need to wait, what we need to do is we need to step back and wait on God and allow him to direct us because waiting on him ultimately is in our very best interest. Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Waiting on God is in our best interest because God is in control anyway. God, if you remember, he's sovereign. He is good. He knows all things and he's working things out for the good of those who follow him. That's why it says in Proverbs you know, 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Waiting on God is in our best interest. Now, with that then, the question is, is what does it mean to wait on God? What does that even look like? I, I mean... We say, wait on God, but what does that mean? And it's a good question. And it's actually a really important question because there's a lot of people actually that still get this wrong. Like when you're looking for a job or like when you need a job, but you're not looking for a job because you're saying, well, I'm just waiting on God. Okay, that's not what we're talking about here. Okay, Or when you know that you need to do something like forgive somebody, but you don't do it because you're like, well, I'm just waiting on God to kind of give me the motivate. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay. Right? Or, or, or when you need, to, you have to make a decision and you kind of know what the decision is, but you've been, you don't want to make the decision, right? And you're procrastinating and you're like, well, I'm just waiting for God to kind of show me the way. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? That's procrastination, right? That's not waiting on God, right? That's not what we're talking about. Um, what we're talking about is something completely different. In fact, in this series, we're going to spend the next several weeks walking through what it means to wait on God. In the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some deep, important subjects that's related to waiting on God. Now today, today's the introduction. This is kind of like the very kind of tip of the iceberg, so to speak. We're laying the groundwork, the understanding on which we're going to build everything else, right? But the meat of the series is going to be the next few weeks. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to take some time and, and we're going to take what we learned here today and talk about today. And we're going to apply those to some bigger subjects, you know, and that we're going to talk about them. And, and the thing that, that we're going to talk about, those, those things in the next few weeks are really very important, actually. 
They're important for our lives. And so I would just ask that you make this a priority to be here for the next few weeks because, because you're not really going to want to miss any of the messages that are coming up in this series. So next week, we're going to jump right in here and we're going to talk about waiting on God for big life changes. Okay, we're going to talk about, you know, and we're going to look at why we need to wait on God and what that looks like when, when big changes in our lives come about. Sometimes the changes are, are big decisions we need to make. Sometimes they're just unforeseen circumstances in our lives that just pop up. Sometimes it's just unexpected opportunities. Sometimes our plans just need to change, right? And sometimes we just need um, to make a change in our lives and we're just struggling with that. We're going to look at what waiting on God in that context looks like. You know, how do we open our heart and our minds to God's will and God's direction and leading as our lives change? And then the following week, we're going to talk about uh, waiting on God when it hurts. What does it look like to wait on God when you're in pain? Because one of the greatest challenges we're going to face in our life, one of the greatest objections to, 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 to faith for many people is the problem of pain. How do you wait on God when things are hard? How do you wait on God when it seems like he's not even there to help? There are those times that you go through trials where you're like, well, God, where are you? Right? Why me, Lord? And it seems like that he's nowhere to be found. Right? And we're tempted in our hurt at those times to make really emotional decisions and choices. But in those times, we need especially to wait on God. And we're going to talk about how that works and what that looks like. And then finally, in the end of this series, we're going to, we're going to wrap this thing up with, with, the, with the big wait. Okay? The, the big question. When will God return? We're going to talk about waiting on God's return. We're going to talk about waiting on Jesus to come back and make all things right. By the way, I'm not going to tell you when he's going to return because just so you know, nobody knows that. All right. Okay. But we're going to talk about what that looks like. I mean, do we just sit here as a church in this building and wait for the rest of the world to go to hell while we're waiting for God to come back? Or is waiting for Christ to return something else? Does it mean, you know, what does it mean to be ready for Jesus to come back? So we're going to talk about those things for the next uh, several weeks. And, and I promise you're not going to miss those messages. But, um, but today I want to wrap up and I want to talk about waiting on God in our daily devotional life. Taking time daily to wait on God. And I want you to know, this is, this is an area I personally struggle with, right? Taking the time daily to wait on God, okay? Understand, I mean, I get up early almost every morning. I get to my office early so I can get into the Bible. I really actually look forward every day to, 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 for my time alone and my personal Bible study time. Um, I've carved out a little, you know, section of time for that. So I have my little routine and I am excited about that. But before I know it, all right, the day starts creeping in on me. My mind starts thinking about all the things I need to accomplish. All right, I have this project coming up. I've got to be ready for that meeting. I got to get ready to, to finalize, you know, this thing. I got to finally, hopefully organize and finish my library, right? I, I you know, I mean, you know, suddenly I find myself in the middle of the day, right? And it's just go, 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 go. And I realize I haven't really actually taken the time to sit quietly waiting for God for a few minutes. So I personally have to consciously work on this and making myself uh, wait on God. And, and so this is an area I need to grow. And this is an area I need help with. And if you're praying, pray for me for this. This is where I need prayer. Right? I, just like you, need to set aside some time to wait on God daily. I'm getting better at this, but it needs to be more consistent. I need to follow through. And what I mean by this is our devotional time really consists of several key elements. Number one, devotional time must include time in the Word. 
right? You need to be in the word, not weekly, daily, right? All right, so we need to spend some time in the word, whether it's like, you know, reading a quick little section, you know, most of our modern Bibles, you know, take chapters and break them down into sections, or you can actually read a chapter or more. But the point is to be in the word daily. And then the second thing we need to do is we need to pray. We need to pray daily. We need to be before God asking, you know, his blessing in our lives and, and, and his protection over our families daily. We need to come before the throne of grace and let him know what we need, right? But in addition to that, in addition to those two things, we need to take some time and be quiet daily before God. Quiet time where we're just waiting on the Lord to speak to us, waiting for God to move in our spirits, where we stop, we get our minds clear, where we, where we get our heads clear, we, where we, you know, um, just say, Lord, you you know all that's going on, right? You know what's going on with me. You know I want to start reading right now. You know I just want to talk right now. You know, Lord, that, 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 that ultimately I, I want to do this. I want to do that, right? But I want to sit here. I just, I just help me to sit here, Lord, and just wait quietly on you. I need to sit here and be patient. I need to sit here and just be vulnerable to you, God. I need to sit here and wait for you and allow you to speak into my life. Right? And I might not hear your voice audibly, but I'm waiting for you to move in my life. And maybe you don't move today. Maybe you don't move tomorrow. Maybe you don't move in my spirit in the, for the next week. That's okay, Lord, because I'm gonna sit here. I'm gonna wait for you anyway because you're valuable to me and you're worth that to me. Lord, I'm, I'm dependent on you. I'm, I, I value you. I, I understand this is how you're gonna change me. I'm waiting on you because this is in my best interest. And so I'm gonna sit here, clear my head. And I'm gonna wait in silence for five minutes or 10 minutes or however long because God, you're worth my absolute undivided attention. We need to have that kind of wait time. Psalm 62.1 says, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. We need that kind of wait time. We need to stop, clear our heads and wait on God daily. Not weekly, not monthly, daily. We need to set aside a little bit of time every day to worship God by patiently waiting on him. And let me just tell you, if you'll do this, if you will take time to get alone with God and quietly wait on him, like all other spiritual disciplines, your life will change. It will help you to think clearer and feel more connected to God and you will, will make better decisions as a result. And, and you have nothing at all to lose but to try. So here's, here's where I'm at. Here's what I want you to do. This is actually your homework. I want you to commit today to spending a little time every day for the next four weeks as this series runs uh, waiting on God during your devotional time. Now you might say, well, I don't have a devotional time. All right, that's problem number one we gotta get solved, right? That's right. So that's where you have to start. You need to, you need to right now decide, I'm going to schedule some time, and you all have it, whether you like to believe it or not. You all have a little bit of time that you can carve out for God for your devotional time. All right, time in the Word, time to pray, time to wait. But in your devotional time for the next four weeks, I want you to make a special point to spend some time quietly waiting for God. And he, here's the thing, all right? Just start with five minutes. 
Right? If, I mean, I know most of you guys have a tablet or, or, a, or a phone that has a little timer on there. You can do that, my kids. Like, I don't know about your kids, but like when you say you have to read the Bible for 15 minutes, they go, boop, timer. You know, they, they know. When it, it didn't matter where I'm at. When that timer goes off, I'm done, okay? So you can take your timer, set it for five minutes, right? Now, you can go longer if you want to, but I promise you, most people, when, it, when, that, when it's waiting in silence for five minutes, seems like an eternity, for just about everybody until, until you get used to it, right? But the important thing is, is once you start it, stick with it. So commit to five minutes a day in your devotional time just waiting for God, you know, in the next four weeks and watch what he'll do. Now, what are you waiting for? I don't know. I, I, I mean that sincerely because I don't know what God has, has for you. You know, sometimes God just gives you that, that sense of peace that you've been needing. Sometimes God gives you that clarity of thought. Sometimes God gives you that prodding in your spirit on, on something you've been praying about. Sometimes God, you know, lays a verse on your heart. It's happened to me, right? But, but, but the, th- the point being is, is, it's not even so much that God's going to talk to you. It's the fact that you are devoting yourself to him to wait on him. And God blesses that kind of devotion. So stick with it. Waiting on God is good for us. And it shows that we depend on him. It demonstrates we value him. It changes us. And ultimately, it's in our best interest and so there is absolutely no reason not to do it. Let me remind you what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, if the Lord makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial for us. It tries faith, exercises patience, trains submission, endears the blessings when it comes. The Lord's people have always been waiting people. So let us, the Lord's people, wait on him. Let me pray for you. Father, so many in your words, so many things in your word challenge me. And this one right here, this challenges me. I mean, Lord, I mean, normally I'm pretty good about waiting on you and big decisions and being patient, but, but, but give me a thirst and a hunger to wait more. Give me the ability to wait more. Give me that ability to come before you and just sit in silence and let the world be the world. Help me to just let go of my daily uh, things that I'm constantly worried about getting done. Help me to remember that. It doesn't matter anyway because you're in control. What I'm going to get done is with, completely within your sovereign hands anyway. Help me to worship you in this way. Help me to, to value you in this way that I could just sit quietly and just allow you and just to meditate on you and to, to contemplate your beauty and just to just stand in awe in your presence, Father. That's what our world needs. We, we live in a world that just has, has no awe at all for anything, much less you, Lord. Help us to have a deep sense of, of, of who you are. Help us to see who you are so we stand quietly in awe. Because I promise, I know for a fact, if you showed up right now, we wouldn't do anything else except be quiet in your presence because we'd be terrified. So, Father, help us to stand in awe of you again. Help us to wait patiently for you. And I pray, Father, that there be the cry of all of our hearts, Lord, that we would be in devotional time with you, number one. And in that devotional time, we'd carve out some time to wait on the answers and wait for you to move and wait for you to stir our hearts, Father. Help us to be people who passionately are looking for you to move. Not just talking about you moving, but actually waiting for you to move. And so, Father, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts go through this series, that, Lord, that we would take this holy devotion of waiting, 
the spiritual discipline and make it a part of our lives. And Father, I am begging you, Lord God, that you would raise up a people in this church who are so passionate for your name that we go out into the community and in the world and we storm the gates of hell and that we are not ashamed of the gospel and we go preach it to the ends of the earth that people would come here and be saved and rescued and come into the grace of God. We love you, Lord. We thank you. I pray that you meet all people, all everyone's needs and you be with those who are hurt right now. We love you, we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. For listening. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org and please consider partnering with us financially as we share the hope and the healing of Jesus Christ with our community and with the world.